Welcome to Raven Debriefs. I'm your host, Jamie Lee Gonzalez. It's not every day that you get a chance to change the nature of big industries like mining, but that's what's happening at the BC Supreme Court this April. On our third and final guest episode from the legal experts at Ing Eris Fong, Ruben Tillman interviews legal counsels for two of the nations who are intervening in Gikatla Nation's groundbreaking case, which takes aim at BC's outdated and unjust Mineral Tenure Act. It's been a long and strange journey from the fallout of a rogue mining company who despoiled sacred watersheds in Gikatla territory to the assembly of a coalition of diverse yet committed interveners who one by one have taken the stand to denounce the casual and discriminatory way mineral claims are handled in BC. Protecting this one salmon-rich island on BC's north coast is important enough, but if Gikatla and their allies win, it will change the mining regulations everywhere in BC. Whether you're out walking your dog or folding the laundry or putting your feet up, sink in and listen to lawyers Karim Ramji and Alex Kirby talk about the impacts of mining and the mineral tenure regime on Indigenous nations. Hi, listeners. And welcome to our third podcast leading up to Gatatla Nation's court challenge to the free entry mining regime under BC's Mineral Tenure Act in BC Supreme Court starting April 3rd. I'm Ruben Tillman, a lawyer at Ingeris Fong, and it's an honor to work on this case on behalf of our client, Gatatla. Uh, the case is about the province's sale of mineral rights to third parties on unceded Gitatla territory without any notice or consultation and certainly without consent of Gitatla. Uh, but Gitatla is not alone in being impacted by BC's free entry mineral tenure regime and by mining. Indeed, a Hattasat nation is uh, joined with Gitatla's case and four other First Nations are intervening to provide the court with their unique perspectives. Uh, on that note, I'm pleased to have joining me today uh, Karim Ramji, lawyer for the interveners New Hawk Nation and Squaliak First Nation, and Alex Kirby, lawyer for the interveners uh, Gitniao Hereditary Chiefs and Nakadzli Wu-Ten First Nation. Uh, Karim, Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Good That's morning, Ruben. Yeah, good morning. Um, so it's great to have you. And uh, so let's just dive right in. Um, I'm going to ask each of you to just... Uh, give us an idea of uh, who your clients are and why you're intervening. And Karim, can I start with you? Thank you. Good morning. My name is Karim Ramji, and I'm legal counsel for two First Nations, uh, the Newhawk First Nation, which is in the central coast of British Columbia, and the Squala First Nation, which is in an area north of Lillooet in, this, in the central part of the province. Both communities have very distinct issues to do with mining in the territories. The issues to do with Squila is they have a mine, a provincially permitted mine that's operating on the reserve lands that's been shut down, and that they're having significant issues to do with the reclamation of the site. And they come to this intervention with the perspective that the province has a duty to consult and accommodate from the very beginning because the province's position that they will get to substantial issues further down the process is not sound. Uh, the province has a very poor record as a regulator and Mount Pauly sort of serves as a significant reminder for that in terms of the significant failure uh, to properly regulate. And the issues for Squirrel are that the amount of reclamation security that was required by the province for this mine was minimal at $500,000 
and the reclamation liabilities are in the many, many, many folds of that, many millions of dollars. And that gap, if you like, in the reclamation security and reclamation liability is a debt, if you like, that falls on all the province's taxpayers, and that's pretty significant. The Auditor General in 2016 concluded that that gap, if you like, was a billion dollars. So the province has really uh, failed to properly regulate mining, and that's the reason why uh, for Squila, they're intervening is to make sure that there's early consultation that is meaningful and, and, and addresses their concerns, not just with the startup of the mine, but also more significantly with the closure and the restoration of the environment. And that's a very significant issue for not just Squila First Nation, but every community that has any mining activity in it. For the Nuwak Nation, they have uh, set out areas in their territory where they don't want any money to take place. And the province's free entry system has allowed uh, companies to go in there and start doing work. The whole premise of the province is that the issuance of this uh, free entry system doesn't require consultation, is flawed and wrong at law. The very legal point that the province is now relying on yet again has already been considered by the Yukon Court of Appeal um, in a case called Ross River Denning. And that was, again, the Yukon Court of Appeal is also our BC Court of Appeal. So really, we have appellate authority saying that the issuance of such claims does require uh, consultation. The position of the Mohawk Nation is that the province is committed to advancing reconciliation, and that requires basically the integration of two legal systems BC's legal system and the legal system of the Newark Nation. The problem that the Newark are having, and for that matter, all First Nations, is that the province is not even responding and uh, properly addressing its own constitutional requirements under Haida to consult and accommodate, especially when it's been directed to do so uh, by the Court of Appeal. And the province, if you like, is undermining the rule of law by doing that. And when it says it's committed to reconciliation to integrate two legal systems, the starting point is that it has to adhere to and uphold its own legal rules and procedures, and it's not doing that. And that becomes problematic because without that, there's no possibility of any sort of real reconciliation taking place. And that's the perspective that the New Hawk Nation will be bringing to the table, that the province's stance, if you like, is unlawful, contrary to the rule of law, and it's undermining, if you like, sort of the underpinnings of what's required in a civil society. And if the province isn't going to be sort of upholding the rule of law, then the Newark have no choice. And they that's what they've done is to go out and protest and blockade these mining activities. And then the province is then suggesting, well, those are those are illegal. And it's somewhat ironic because the province, if you like, has failed to fulfill its own constitutional duties, and yet it's now uh, suggesting that the Newark citizens are to be held to a different standard. So those are uh, the, the main points being made uh, by the interveners. Grim, thank you. Um, and Alex, can I uh, now ask you about your uh, clients and their interventions? Of course. Um, my name is Alex Kirby. I'm counsel for the Gitanyahu Hereditary Chiefs and the Nakadsli First Nation. Um, these are two... Um, uh, groups in central and northwestern BC um, who are intervening in this matter um, on the basis of the, their right to assert their indigenous sovereignty and enforce their indigenous laws um, over their traditional territories. Um, 
The first point I think um, that is important to our clients is that the free entry mineral tenure system interferes in very substantial ways with their ability to uh, implement and enforce their traditional laws on their traditional territories. Um, Gitniao, for example, has made many efforts over the previous two decades to incorporate their uh, obligations under their traditional legal system to steward and protect the land into various land management um, plans. As part of these, um, they've made attempts to set aside certain sensitive salmon spawning areas um, as protected areas, indigenous protected areas, um, in which no mining whatsoever would be allowed. Um, the province, unfortunately, has resisted a lot of these efforts, and, and the Mineral Tenure Act is one of the primary impediments to implementing these, these systems. Um, Gitanyao is in a situation where, having set aside certain very sensitive areas according to their own traditional laws, the province um, refuses to recognize those protected areas in provincial law, which puts um, Gitanyao into, into a bind because as long as the mineral tenure system, the free entry tenure system continues to exist, as long as there are outstanding claims on Gitanyao territories, the province refuses to recognize this manifestation of indigenous law, these indigenous protected areas. Um, and as a result, um, the free tenure system stands in the way of being able to enforce and have recognized these very important manifestations of indigenous law. Until the system is, is reformed such that Gitanyao can have a say in whether or not um, claims are even allowed to be issued in the first place, um, the operation of their legal system is interfered with in a pretty profound way, um, which um, is contrary to the principles of reconciliation, which BC claims um, to, to be um, promoting. So, so that's one aspect um, of the intervention. It is the interference of the ability of these nations to, to essentially to adhere to their own law and to ensure that others follow it as well. Um, the other aspect of the claim or of our interest in the claim has to do with the more practical side. One of the things the province has argued and, and frequently argues in cases like this is that there's no need to consult with First Nations at the outset because consultation can always be done at a later stage once an actual mine, for example, is proposed. Um, and 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 that there are no real substantial tangible impacts at the stage of, of actually staking a claim, which is the first stage of, of developing a mine. Um, but again, um, I mean, not only are there immediate impacts on, on, on nations' ability to govern themselves according to their law, but the problem with waiting until a full-fledged proposal is actually on the table is that it strains the limited resources a lot of nations have to respond to these claims. Instead of being able to engage with the province at the outset to say, here's where our territory is, here's where our sensitive areas are, please stay away from, from this area or that area, we can talk about other areas. Um, instead, the system puts First Nations on the back foot, forcing them to respond um, to full-fledged proposals for, for mines, um, you know, sort of at the last minute. And the practical result of that is not only is it very difficult to respond to a, to a potential mine that may have millions of dollars of backing behind it at that time, um, but in the end, the consultation pro process rarely turns on the question of whether or not there should be a mine, but rather on how that mine should be, you know, um, put into place and what condition should be placed on it, which means that First Nations are sort of like Gitanyao and the Kadsli are, are 
pushed out of the question of whether or not there should be mining in the first place and reduced to the point of simply, you know, imposing a few conditions on it. And, and that's something that is very contrary to the ability of nations to govern their own territories um, in a way that's consistent with their sovereignty and their law. So those are the two reasons primarily that we are seeking to intervene in this claim. All right. Well, thank you uh, both. And yes, I mean, the, the issue of uh, impacts on governance, I think, is central to this case uh, for Gatatla. Similarly, I mean, a, a big motivator to bring this is impediment of the free entry system on uh, its, its, its exercise of sovereignty and governance rights over its own territory. And um, and mining more generally is also, of course, in the background of, of this case with uh, Gatatla having to deal still with the uh, fallout from the Yellow Giant uh, mine, which sits unreclaimed in the same area um, as the mineral claims in question here. So thank you. Um, can I, uh, just to close us off, ask for uh, last words from both of you, maybe about the importance of this case. And uh, I'll start with, uh, I'll start with you this time, Alex. Sure. Well, I, I think this case has has ramifications that extend far beyond mining itself. Mining, of course, is is a very important issue. Um, but I think the issues on the table are are first of all, this case is one of the first real tests of BC's commitment to reconciliation, especially under the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples (UNDRIP), um, and. The way that this case unfolds, I think, will have wider implications on that question in a very big way. Um, and and also, even though this case is focused on mining alone, it does, as I as I mentioned, have huge ramifications also for the ability of indigenous people to govern themselves and to implement their their traditional laws um, um, in a manner that's consistent with their own legal obligations. Thank you, and Karim. Last word to you. Thank you. I just want to sort of add to what Alex just said that, you know, we're at the moment in time right now where reconciliation is key and it requires the utmost good faith and it requires the parties to be mindful of their own obligations and also the commitments they've made uh, to the First Nations. And really what this case does is it brings that process into play. It explains where we are in that process and um, what road and what journey we need to travel together to get to actual reconciliation. So the case is very significant because it provides uh, a very good snapshot of the challenges and the opportunities that lie ahead. And hopefully uh, there's an opportunity here to sort these issues out in a way that would be informative for everybody on a go forward and get to reconciliation. All right. Well, thank you very much. And yeah, I'll, I'll just say, uh, you know, I, I totally agree. And uh, Alex, you know, you, you mentioned UNDRIP and uh, another aspect of this case, of course, is uh, it's a test of the legal effect of BC's uh, statutory commitment to implementing UNDRIP and making uh, all laws of British Columbia consistent. So, um, yes, thank you both. I think it was uh, a great discussion. And uh, just to close us off again, this case is coming uh, up April 3rd in BC Supreme Court. And uh, to our listeners leading up to the hearing, there will be future updates on uh, Raven Trust's website. That's raventrust, all one word, .com. Uh, So please continue to check in there and at our own website. Uh, so thanks so much for listening. Uh, thanks again, uh, Krim and Alex. And to our listeners, uh, see you next time.
You've been listening to a special guest episode of Raven Debriefs, brought to you by experts in Indigenous law at Ing Eres Fong. Kikatla, together with interveners in the case, are in court April 3rd to 14th, 2023, and Raven is supporting them every step of the way. Throughout April, when you make a donation to the case, Raven will triple what you give, multiplying your impact in a challenge that's a once-in-a-generation opportunity to protect ecosystems and make better laws. Donate at raventrust.com slash Thanks so much to the wonderful team at Ing Eres Fong and to Karim and Alex for sharing their wisdom and insight with us. Spread the word about our show and you can subscribe to Raven Debriefs and drop us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jamie Lee Gonzalez. Thanks for listening.